I want to turn it this way because right up here at the top row, Lonnie, I want. Uh, this is fine. Just please bring this up on the volume because I'm pretty spent from worship practice and worship this morning. I was giving him all of my voice, all of my praise. But check this out. Are we among the most blessed leaders, pastors in the universe? Eggs. Look at these. Have you seen an egg? You can't go to the store. You have to go to special places to get eggs this side. Look how adorable that is. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? Well, only God knows. But uh, <laughs> but praise the Lord. Thank you. Thank you for whoever brought these um, fruits. Uh, Christine from Christine's chicken, chicken house. She's looking for Christine. She doesn't even know it's her. Okay. Um, hey, you know, Brother, uh, Brother Steve, Pastor, Pastor Steve, he, he always likes to give you guys some humor. And we kind of need that little transition time. We just came out of the heavenlies. We've got to wake up our, our senses because we know last week we learned that we are body, flesh, we are soul, our emotions and how we think and our personalities and the soul is connected to our heart. And we know uh, that God has redeemed us. Those of us that have received him, our spirit has been born again, and we are a new creation in Jesus Christ. Amen? So, uh, I don't know, in our case, we kind of first come in, and then God <laughs> redeems us, Jesus saves us, and we become a new egg, a new creation in Christ. Amen? Uh, so I hope that I can do this uh, by no means. So pray for me, uh, Pastor Steve, because um, I'm going to make a real attempt uh, to tell you the story. Um, in the Garden of Eden, when it was just God and Adam, you know, it was good, but then Adam ha is a tripart being, and his soul became lonesome. He was lonesome. I mean, he had God and the Godhead and everything there. But somehow, because he was a man of flesh, he became lonely. And God said, Adam, Adam, I'm listening to you. I'm going to create for you a helpmate. I'm going to create her. And, and she's going to be your wife. And the two of you will be one. And Adam was like, okay, helpmate's a new word in my vocabulary. Wife is a new word in my vocabulary. And Adam said to God, well, well, how much is this going to cost? And God said, hmm, it's going to cost an arm and a leg. Now, some of you husbands can relate to that when you take on a wife. And Adam pondered. And he pondered, and he thought, an arm and a leg. And then he said, kind of thinking, he'd listened to God. He was attentive. God was talking with him. 
And then Adam, in all his humanity, said, well, how about a rib instead? Okay, that was the line. That's where you're supposed to laugh now. He didn't want to give up a leg and an arm and a leg. He wanted just like, let's reduce the cost of this for having a wife. I'm willing to give you a rib. Amen? Okay, Pastor Steve, talk to me after the service and see. I, I see you're laughing. I don't know if you're laughing at what I just shared with you or at me. And it's okay. I, you can totally laugh at me. But we awaken our spirits now. And we pray. We've awakened. We've prepared the seedbed of our hearts for God's word and what he's speaking to us today. Amen? Uh, last week, I just want to, a quick review. We did talk about body, soul, and spirit. We learned that the, we are a three-part being. We, it's also known as a triune being. We described our body as our flesh. We know that this flesh, this human body we have right now, is passing away. And at some point in the future, in Christ, uh, God willing, we will, he will also recreate this body. And he will regenerate this body to immor being immortal. But right now, we learned last week that our soul and our spirit is immortal. It doesn't die. It uh, goes into the spirit realm in various places. And you want to make sure, like if you take off before me, kids, uh, make sure that you text me your new address and it's in heaven, okay? Heaven. I'm, I'm living with the God of the universe. But we learned these things. We also learned that we are in a cleansing season right now, a prophetic cleansing season. That's why we've been feeling so awkward. It's like, you know, we can't get in sync. It's like, what's, you know, and especially, I loved, you know, we were all rejoicing this week. Um, my brother Brian came up to me. I hope he sends it to me. He had a cartoon picture of... Um, Moses, if he lived in Vermont right now, and he had, it, it was no longer parting the sea, it was parting the snow so you could get through it, okay? It was an awesome picture. I hope he sends it to me because I want to post it for my, for my Facebook friends. It was adorable. But uh, we all kind of feel like that. Last week, it got really warm here. I think it got up to at least 55 degrees. Maybe in some places people said, my, my temperature said 58 degrees, and that snow that we've had all winter started melting away. Uh, for the past few days, I've been able to see God's green earth under the snow, and some of it's green. And I'm like, Lonnie, we came out to the church Friday, and I said, Lonnie, look, some of that grass is green. It's going to be greener earlier than it was last year. Amen. I just want to encourage all of you, uh, all of you, there's only four more Sundays till spring. And you know how fast this week flew by. Amen? I was, I was uh, texting someone last night and go, where did this week go? Irregardless if it was good or bad. It did not seem to keep churning on. It just went like, whoa, last night, Saturday night. The eve of Sunday and the day of worship in God. 
So during the season, we learned that not only is it a cleansing season, you c- how many of you know you can, you can wash the dirt off of this body, this flesh body in the shower or jump in the river or get in the ocean, how, however you like to cleanse yourself. But the cleansing period we're going through is where there's things in our flesh and there's things in our soul, in our desires, soulishness, desires, things like that. The soul isn't all bad, trust me. The soul isn't all bad. We're not here to eradicate it, but God's here to sanctify it and to cleanse us body, soul, and spirit. So that's our little review of what we were learning last week. And uh, when that snow came last night, when I was like, I, I was like going, I was getting ready to get in the word a little more last night, and I'm going, I ran to Lonnie and go, Lonnie, it's snowing out there. I didn't know it was going to snow. And it looked pretty bad. And then it stopped for a while, and then it snowed again around, I don't know, I noticed it around 1 in the morning. But I was like, I can no longer see the grass. I can no longer see the dirt. I see my brother who shovers sidewalks. He's like, yeah, yeah, what was that all about? But I want to tell you, if you can just embrace it, God was speaking to us. He was speaking to us once again. He's saying, no, spring isn't here yet. We're still in a cleansing period. And when I, when I, after I told that Lonnie to Lonnie, and he goes, yeah, I know. And uh, he says, like, I'm praying that it's not going to get, you know, some weird thing. We get a bunch more snow <laughs> than, than we expect. But as I went back, before I, I got in the word, I heard the Holy Spirit say, Yes, by the blood of my sin, my son, by the blood of my son, during this period of cleansing, I'm going to wash you white as snow. Amen? So when you see it today, and you might not like it, just remember that scripture. Washed by the blood white as snow. Amen. So uh, today we're going to be uh, speaking about uh, our listening, our hearing, and our response to our hearing. Jesus was always says, for them who have eyes to see and to them who have ears to hear, And I just want to tell you that the first thing we're going to talk about today is, I just want to make this statement. We can listen to God's word to us. Believe me, sometimes I know by just being up here and getting a glance of your faith, if God is really going for the heart zone, if that's what's happening, It's getting a little hot up here, Lord. I'm going to have to unbutton this. If God is going to the heart zone, and some of you really don't want to listen to that, you immediately in your mind start thinking about somebody else that it could apply to. Have you ever done that? Yeah. Yeah. You see, we can listen to what God's speaking and say, 
yeah, that, yeah, that really applies to them, and I hope they're listening. Because I, oh, I had to put up with some of that. <laughs> Even on the way to church today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We can listen to God's word to us and respond. Think it applies to someone else and not us, and we can ignore it. Amen? That's where we're going today, this parting cleansing process. He wants to heal your hearing. He wants to heal you when you tune out in the middle of a service and and float away somewhere. Okay? He wants to hear you this. This is with all love because we learned last week. We learned last week that when God loves his children, he leads us to a way of discipline. So, and I don't mean, and we learned last week that doesn't always mean punishment. That just means that he begins to wash us and cleanse us and heal us to allow us to walk in a life of discipline ourselves. That's what he wants. He doesn't, you know, we, when we raise our kids, I want them to lead a disciplined life. And I want, the last thing I want to do is come in and be the heavy, right? And really get their attention. And that's the way God is. So I want to read to you Romans 10, 17. Let's start with the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, in that scripture, that word is translated from the Greek, rhema. It's not necessarily the written word, or even the one I'm speaking to you. It refers to when God speaks to you. Now, I want you to understand this. I might be saying something, but then God goes off in your ear and tells you something. Or he brings something up in your remembrance while you're here. That's why we record these uh, words, because you miss some things sometimes when God's speaking to you. And you can go back and rehearse them. Make sure you didn't miss anything that God was speaking. Isaiah 28:23 says, Give ear to my voice. Listen and hear my words. I love that scripture. I think we could all meditate on that scripture in his presence. It's God speaking to us. He spoke that to Ezekiel when he was calling. He speaks that word continues. That is a word to all of us. So I want us to take a look. If you want to turn to Genesis, that's the first book in the Bible. I don't know what page that's on in your Bible. But um, we want to, uh, you can read all about this if you're taking notes, uh, this story. Read it this week so you can rehearse it. So you saw what really went down. Read Genesis. Um, chapter 19, 1 through 30. 
We don't have time to read it all, but we're going to take a look. Uh, this, those scriptures talk about Abraham. You know, Abraham and Sarah, we talked about them last week. Sarah had heard the word of the Lord and the promise that was coming, and at some point she came up with some soulish ideas instead of waiting. But this is Lot, Abraham's nephew. And when Abraham left, Lot went with, with him. They didn't take a whole lot with him. Uh, Abraham came from a very wealthy family in the first place, so I'm sure he had some of that with him. But they'd been together a while as Abraham was leading them. And um, so I just want to tell you a little bit about this. I want you to, to identify with Lot because if you read, take the time to read the whole story, you'll see that Lot was very carnal in his thinking, very fleshly, very soulish. Lot wasn't spiritual. He, the, in contrast to Abraham and walking with God, they were two different people coming from entirely different perspectives of their relationship with God. Okay? So I want you, as we read here, so there came a time, quickly I want to go through this, so don't be reading all your scriptures right now. I just want to go up to, the, to this point. Lot and Abraham, their herds had grown. Lot had all of his herd. Abraham had all of his. Lot had people helping him tend to his herds and the herdsmen, and so did Abraham. And apparently it got, this story tells us that they started bickering and probably fighting. And I mean, you know, taking both herds and then how do you separate them and how are we going to, it was getting frustrating. They were really getting stressed. And they must have come to Abraham and told him about all the stuff that's going on when he's not out there in the fields. And Abraham decides to go to Lot, and he says, look, God has prospered us. Basically, we our herds have increased. There's this stuff going on. I don't want there to be anything between us. Look at all this land that is out here. Check it all out. And, he, and Abraham, being the man, a spiritual man, not a soulish man, he didn't make the choice for Lot ahead of time. He says, I want you to look around at all of this, and I want you to decide and make a choice where you want to take your herds in this whole area. There's a valley. Canaan's over here. You know, uh, where do you want to go, Lot? You get first choice. You get to choose. And Lot was looking around, and he was surmising what was right before his eyes. And he was like, hmm, this is fertile valley ground. You know, here living in rural Vermont, some of the most beautiful farms are in the valley near streams, the river valley. Beautiful. And Lot told Abraham, okay, well, well, I'm going to just, I'm going to take, all my herds are going to feed here in the valley. They're going to fill, feed in the valley, and that's where I'm going to be. And so Abraham said, oh, great, great, that's fine. Then I'm going over here. I'm going this direction. And um, I'm just going to go over. I mean, I'm just going to go in the other direction. And as Abraham did, God spoke to him uh, because that land didn't look as choice as the valley land. I've been there. 
Um, so in Israel, and I've seen the area where where uh, God was, uh, they were looking at. And Abraham, uh, as Lot goes towards the valley, he also knows there's a big city over there called Sodom. And another one called Gomorrah. I mean, you know, we live in rural Vermont, but he wanted to get closer to city life, you know, commerce. He wouldn't have to go as far to sell some of his herds for funds or whatever else he needed. You know, it was going to be easier for him to get to that. The soul is always, the soul of a man is always looking for the easy way. It's going to be easier. Yeah. The the soul is always looking and calculating on that list. Well, what's good and what's bad? What's going to make it easier for me? Okay. So So Abraham takes off, and he's headed, and God comes over, and he speaks to him. He said, Abram, you've gotten out here. Now I want you to look, you know, east, west, north, south. I want you to look at this land as far as you can see and even beyond. This is the land I'm going to give you, to you and your descendants. All of it is going to be yours. And we come in, uh, we see that, uh, as I said earlier, uh, Lot is a soulish man, and he's ruled by his flesh, carnality. He's ruled by his spirit and the easy way, uh, his soul and the easy way, and they kind of gang up on the spirit, and that's just kind of how Lot lives. So Abraham, I want to go further into the story. We will be going to verses 15 through 20 in chapter 19. Um, I want to tell you what precedes this. They had lived there a while. By this time, Lot and his family, he, he had two daughters, he had a wife, he had son-in-laws. You know, he had his family. And by then, he bought himself a house in Sodom. He was a property owner. You know, he was a wealthy man. He bought himself a house right in the middle of the city. And we join this, and we're going to read, I'm going to read quickly verses 15, chapter 19 of Genesis 15 through 19. And when the morning, so, so God sent, God had heard cries coming up. I can't forget to tell you this. God had heard cries coming up from some people that were just crying out to him, saying, this city has gotten so wicked. God, come and help us. Come and help us. And so when the cries had come up, God sent two angels. The angels didn't have wings on them. They just looked like men. Did you know that some of the angels come (laughs) disguised as just men or humans? That's why the word of God, it says, beware how you treat a stranger. You might be entertaining an angel. Amen? So they come to this city, and they're checking it out, and God has given them a message, and he's like, look, you guys go check this place out, and then this, and let me know what's going on. If, if what I'm hearing, what's coming up to my throne, and the cries coming up to me, is real fact or it's fake news. Okay? 
So, verse 15. And when morning dawned, the angels, they went in there. Uh, I, I, wait a minute, i got to tell you something else. So when they first arrived, the wickedness in there, the men went to Lot's house, and they were saying, who are these strangers? Send them out that we might have relations with them. And we're not saying taking them out to dinner. These were sexual relations with them. Right? This is how wicked this was. They see a stranger just come into town. They're like, hey, send those guys out here. This is what we want to do and get them out here. And Lot said, no, no. Um, you know, uh, I've got two daughters. They're virgins. I'll, I'll give them to you. Lot knew these were angels. Lot perceived that. So, you know, part of his perceptions were working. And he was afraid of what would be happen to him if he sent these two angels out. Well, they started pounding on the door. They were going to attack Lot and, and do away with him. They're like, hey, you're kind of new kid on the block here. You haven't lived in the generations of our families. And we're going to do to you what we had intended to do to them. And they started pounding the door. So the angel pulled Lot in the door, into the house, shut the door, and they cursed those men, that crowd that had gathered there, and they went blind. And they now can't see the door handle or whatever's going on. And this is the scene. At that time, the angels told Lot, you are going to have to leave because this is real and God is going to destroy this place and you have to go gather your son-in-laws, your daughters. You need to tell them this is what is going on. And Lot did that. But the Bible tells us, if you read this story, he spoke to his son-in-laws. But somehow the way he was telling the story, it tells us that they thought he was jesting. That this really wasn't going to happen. And so they took off to do whatever. And we come into the story. Now we're going to hit verse 15. And the next morning, when the morning dawned, the angels heard Lot saying, Up, meaning get up, <laughs> arise, rise up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he hesitated. But Lot hesitated. He heard what they had just said, but he hesitated. His soul is thinking, wait a minute, I'm just interjecting here. Why did he hesitate? Because his soul didn't want to leave Sodom. As wicked as it was and disgusting as it was, there was something in his flesh and his soul that didn't really want to leave. Wait a minute, I just heard what you said, but I'm, wait a minute, I... And he hesitated, and I figured, this is my conjecture, that he came up and thought, um, how am I going to get out of this? I'm going to plead with them. But he hesitated. The angels knew what were going on. So the men, the angels, seized his hand and the hand of his wife, and they took the hands of his two daughters. For the compassion of the Lord was upon him. After all of that, 
God's compassion was still upon Lot. And they brought him out, and all of them, and put him outside the city. So we've been there in Israel. It would be, it's quite a place. We saw a few patches where the fire and brimstone, where they do believe was the Sodom, the city of Sodom when it was destroyed. And they had to walk through the city to get him outside the city. So this took a while, okay? They weren't driving outside the city. They were walking. Verse 17, and it came about when they had brought them outside that one of the angels said, Escape for your life! You've been lollygagging, I would assume. He was taking it easy. And the angel says, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you. And do not stay anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains, lest you be swept away. So all this fertile land that he had chosen, God was going to destroy in the valley. It Fire was about to come down from heaven. But Lot had time to think about what was going on. He was going to bargain. He was going to talk to them. Verse 18, but Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords. Here comes the debate. Now behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have magnified your loving kindness, which you have shown to me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest disaster overtake me and I die. Lot, since our lesson is on listening, potentially bargaining, debating, like the little story of humor I said earlier, the lesser of two evils in our soul's mind, and the spiritual man. He said, I'm a valley man. I'm a city guy. You're sending me to the mountains? Basically, that's what he's saying. And in verse 20, he says to the angels, he says, Now behold, this town, and he points over here in that direction. Now behold, this town is near enough to flee to. I can make it there surely if we run and we hurry. I'm adding the story here. I can make it there (laughs) before God destroys the city. And it is small. I know, angels, you've perceived how much I love in Sodom and the city, even with the filthy wickedness that's there. But please, <laughs> let me go over here to the city. It's small. It's not a big city. That my life might be saved. The literal translation of, I don't know how your Bible reads it, that my life may be saved. The literal translation in the Greek is, and my soul will live. (laughs) 
for the purpose of our study. And the angel said to him, Behold, I grant you this request. And also not to overthrow the town of which you've spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I can't do anything until you arrive there. And they take off. And we don't know how fast he ran. Lot eventually, after the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, and we saw chunks of brimstone that had fallen from the sky and how everything burnt when some of us went on that Israel trip. You see, Lot was debating with God. He was bargaining with him according to his soul, according to his flesh, what he wanted. God must have had a real good reason for saying run to the mountains because these were message bearers. These were message-bearing angels. And I think from this story, we too can have compassion as God did on Lot. Because I think from what God has been speaking here this morning, we can have compassion on Lot too because he's a lot like us. Amen? He's a lot like us. But why Lot's wife didn't listen As you read the whole story about this, she turned back. Remember the angels that originally said, and don't look back. But she did. And she became, during the process, a pillar of salt. Ezekiel 3, 10. Son of man, take into your heart All my word, which I will speak to you, all of it, and listen carefully. That's Ezekiel 3.10. We can see from this story that Lot was not, he was listening carefully perhaps, but not in order to obey. He was trying to reconfigurate what God and bargain with God and debate with the angels. Negotiations, whatever you want to call them. The Lord spoke three questions here. He didn't necessarily answer them, so he just told me to ask them and state them as questions. Have you received a word from God? You. Did you listen carefully? How did you respond? Those are the three questions. We're in a cleansing period. 
praise God for his compassion and mercy that we just saw in this story. Amen. There was only one casualty at that point, which was Lot's wife, with direct disobedience. And only God can judge her heart because he was so compassionate in this whole story (laughs) that she went. Perhaps her soul was so entwined with the wickedness and the love for that wickedness and what was going on there. God had warned, she disobeyed, and she became a pillar of salt. So I want to tell you a story and lighten this up. I've told this before, but some of you might not have been here. And some of you might have been here, but you weren't listening. Right? (laughs) You might not. So it's a really cute story. It was a great lesson. And I think I preached a word on this at some point many years ago. But it was when my youngest grandsons were younger. And the youngest one was like five, about five years old. The other ones, you know, were eight and nine or ten. And they had come over to spend the weekend at Mimi's house. And I spoil them. I don't let them be disobedient, believe me. I, I want them, I want them to do the right thing. And I give them instructions, just like God said. So these were Mimi's words. I had told them we had just finished eating this fun, crazy dinner that they might not get at home. I had all sorts of goodies and snacks for later. They had been wanting to watch a specific movie. And I said, yes, we're going to go upstairs. You guys go up, get your jammies on, put everything away, you know, fold everything, don't throw it all over the room. And I'll clean up the mess here, and I'll be up in a few minutes and get along, okay? Yes, 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 we will. They run upstairs, and I said, I'll hurry so we can get started having more fun. While I was cleaning, just only about five minutes later, seven minutes later, uh, one of the boys comes down and goes, Mimi, um, I I, I just think you need to know that um, his youngest brother... He's, he's acting up. He's, he didn't listen. He's not doing what you told us to do. He's fighting with us. He's acting up. We've told him he needs to do this. He won't listen to reason from his older brother. And, and, and I think you need to talk to him, or what do you want to do? And I said, well, okay. I'm saddened to hear that. Just go up and tell him to come down by himself. I don't need you guys at this point. So they told him to come down, the youngest one who was five. He came down. He was moping. He was like, yeah. Thank you. I said, uh, how about you take a seat over there while I still keep working? Because if I stop, then it's just going to take us longer. And I know that you're bright. And uh, I think we can do this while I keep cleaning up here. And I was looking at him, and I said, I heard that. You have been being naughty and not listening to what I asked all three of you to do. And I'm just asking you why. What's going on with you? And he's like, no, no. I, you know, and he gives me his side of the story. Not much because he already knew that he was in the wrong. So he just made an 
incoherent story about it was their fault because somehow whatever they had done had put him in this foul mood, which was unusual for him, and then he was striking and lashing out. And I said, my dearest, dearest grandson, you were not listening to me. You were not listening. And he goes, he protests. He goes, I was listening to you. I, I was listening. I said, no, you couldn't have been listening. If you'd been listening, I know your character. You always, you always do what I ask you to do. You weren't listening. He protested. Mimi, I was listening. I said, you heard every word I said. You heard me say what to do. We rehearsed it. And he says, yes, yes, yes. I was listening. I said, well, it doesn't sound like it to me because you did the opposite of that. And he said, yes, I was listening. I, I, I listened to you and heard every word, but I was, I said, well, then what were you doing? And he says, I was ignoring you. Mimi, I was ignoring you. Now we're laughing at this story. But I think a few moments ago, we were seeing ourselves in this story. And I went over and I loved him. And I said, wow, that is a great truth. And you are favored to be able to understand God's principle. This principle of listening and ignoring at such a young age. So we talked on. I said, you know what you need to do. You need to go up and reconcile with your brothers. Tell them you're sorry for your behavior. He didn't really want to hear that, but it took him a few minutes. I said, when you're ready. When you're ready. But before I get up there. So he knew I meant business. And he took a few minutes, and he headed up and reconciled. Now, I want to read you another story, if I may, and we're going to look at Jonah. I hope I have time to go over all of this. Uh, let me get to that real quick. To Jonah. I highly recommend that you read the whole book of Jonah. It's only a few chapters. It's quite a story. It's not just a story. Um, scholars debate whether this really occurred or didn't, but there's too many proofs. And don't forget that Jesus, Jesus to say that you know somebody else wrote the story. It was written in the third person. Did Jonah really do it? And so... We don't know a whole lot about Jonah in the story. You'll read it. But I want to tell you that in um, 1 Kings, you will read a little bit more about Jonah, the same Jonah, and talk about kings and things that were going on. And in that, those scriptures, it calls the prophet Jonah. So we learn from that scripture, not in this story, that Jonah was a prophet before Hosea and some of those prophets, but before them. 
And uh, Jonah, verse 1 through 16, first I want, God came to him and spoke to him. Most of us know that. God came to Jonah and spoke to him and told him something he wanted him to do. And I want you to think about this. Jonah at that time lived about three miles north of Nazareth. Now, some of you have been to Israel, and you kind of know where Nazareth is. It was the birthplace of where Jesus was. Uh, That's one type. (laughs) That's where Jesus lived after he was born in Bethlehem, in Nazareth. So it was only three miles from Nazareth. And um, God spoke to him, and he wanted him to go to Nineveh. Nineveh was being naughty, a lot of evil and wickedness going on there. And, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah happened way before that, but, you know, God's people heard that story. And uh, there were lots of cries coming up to God about how wicked the wickedness that was going on in that town and the king that was running the show. And Nineveh was a huge city. It took three days. The way they tell you how big it was is it took them three days to walk through through the center of it, from one side to the other. Three days' walk. It's a big city. Thousands and thousands of people. Thousands and thousands of opportunities for wickedness. Um, so I want to read this to you. God speaks his will. Starting with chapter 1, verse 1. The, w- the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, God says, Arise and go to Nineveh. So pretend if this was you. The great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. That's in verse 2. Now, God gives him a word. It doesn't say he, he was fleeing to Tarshish because he, he didn't want to hear any more from God, but he was running from the presence of the Lord. We all experience the presence of the Lord here in worship, right? But Jonah is going to run. Do you know how far Tar- uh, Nineveh was from where he lived? It was 300 miles. It was quite a journey. It was going to take him a while to walk there and get to Nineveh to relay the message that God had him had in mind. But instead, Jonah decides, but Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Do you know how far Tarshish was? Do you even know what Tarshish was? What that translates? It was Spain. It was what we know as Spain. It was 2,000 miles away. He was going to run 2,000 miles away. He figured, I'm going to go all the way to Spain because I've heard about that place and the presence of the Lord is not going to be going over there to hang out. I'm getting out of this. I'm getting away from this. I don't have time to tell you the backstory on why he didn't like Nineveh and how he didn't want, uh, he, he wanted no part of Nineveh. 
there were some angers, other wars and things of the people of Nineveh and what that king and what they'd done in history. So he went down to Joppa. He found a ship. He took money with him, or his credit card, which was going to Tarshish, and he paid the fare. That must have been a big fare. That was going to be a big cruise, which was going to Tarshish. He paid the fare, and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Verse 4. And the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried out to his God, and they threw the cargo out and over the ship, which was in the ship, into the sea to lighten the load of the ship. They thought it might help. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, lain down, and fallen fast asleep. This sounds like a familiar story in the New Testament where God had, uh, Jesus was with the disciples and he'd gone gone in and a storm arose and he was fast asleep. So the captain, so the captain approached him and he said, how is it that you are sleeping through all of this? Get up, call on your God. You see, they knew that he was a prophet. And perhaps your God, remember, your God, not ours, your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. And each man said to his mate, come, let us cast lots so we can, we can learn whose account, what, what's happening here. So whose account this calamity is that has struck us? Who brought this upon us? And they cast the lots. And the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us now, tell us now, Jonah. They're pointing the finger at Jonah. Tell us now. On whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you from? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men became extremely frightened, and they said to him, How could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them so. So they said to them, what should we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. And he said to them, pick me up and throw me out into the sea. Get rid of me, just like you did the cargo. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rowed desperately to return to land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. And when they called on the Lord and said, they even called on the Lord. And when they called on the Lord and said, we earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life. And do not put innocent blood on us. 
For thou, O Lord, hast done as thou hast pleased. Verse 15. So they picked up Jonah, they threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped. It's raging. Just like that. Then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Wow. These people weren't even saved. (laughs) But they knew that there needed to be sacrifices. And then they made vows to God. Please keep the storm calm. We've got miles and miles more to go before we get to Tarshish. The story goes, um, as you know, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Even Jesus himself refers to it, that the sign of Jonah is the sign that will come upon his life when he winds up in the tomb for three days and three nights. So I'm saying I'm pretty sure this story is true. At least Jesus was affirming this story is accurate, as bizarre as it may sound. Nothing is impossible with God. He wasn't going to let him drown. I believe that Jonah had found himself in a period of cleansing. He was out on that sea, and the season of cleansing was coming quick and fast to his life. He then humbles himself, (laughs) and he prays a long prayer. He cries out to God. He, He speaks prayers that you can even find lines of in the Psalms. And everything. And he's like, while I was fainting away, you know, you came and rescued me. I I didn't deserve it. Yet, his compassion. And after he'd gone through this in repentance with God, in verse 10 it says, Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up on dry land. Once he got dried out, washed up, cleaned up, Chapter 3 tells us in verse 1, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. He got a second chance. God wasn't letting him out of this. You're the man I chose for this job. We're going to be learning. You're going to be learning. I'm going to be cleansing you all the way. I'm going to be reworking you. I'm going to turn your weaknesses into strength. Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you when he got there. So he couldn't be rehearsing it. He couldn't figure out how he was going to change it. He just had to get himself there. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now he's listened, and now he's not ignoring. He's not running from his presence. He's headed there. Come on. And now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk through it. Not three days from where he landed. The Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk. 
he went that far into the city as soon as he got there. And this is what he cried out and said. Yet in 40 days from now, Nineveh will be overthrown. That was his evangelistic message. He was sending him as a prophet and an evangelist to tell the people what God said. That is the shortest evangelistic message I've ever heard or read in the Bible. And when the people heard it, God opened their hearts and their ears to hear, and they responded. So word started going through. All he had to do is walk for one day, and word traveled, and it got to the king, and the king humbled himself. He was terrified of what was going to happen. And when a word comes like this, you know, whoa, from God's prophet, somehow they didn't harden their hearts. They heard the word of the Lord because he really wanted to save that city. It was a great city. There was at least 120,000-plus people in that city, and he really didn't want to destroy it. He had compassion, and his mercy is new every morning. And he's, his reputation to his people were that he is a God of loving kindness, And he sent someone to warn them. You've got 40 days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. They believed. They went into fasting. They went into sackcloth. And God relented. And a great salvation came to Nineveh from the king all the way down. And when God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. Now, the story goes on. I don't have time to tell you. Jonah actually still had an attitude toward Nineveh. He complied with God's word, but he really was upset that God had compassion and loving kindness because they deserved destruction. They deserved judgment. And he was pouting, and then he got despondent, and he was like, just take my life. He became, you know, I just want to die. I don't want to see these wicked people, you know, receive mercy and grace and compassion like I did. And sometimes that's our heart. When God relents and gives justice to someone else. We have the story of the prodigal son. The other brother was like, I'm here all the time. I do good for you all the time. And you're throwing a party for him. You, you see, that's the heart condition of man. And God spends some more time, and I want you to listen to that. God shows him in the end of the story that he was more interested in the dead plant that God had raised up to keep him out of the sun than he was 120,000 people. Luke 8:21, another scripture on hearing. This is Jesus speaking. His parents, he had been missing from the caravan, and they went in to find him. It was right after Passover, and, and they came to Jesus. He was teaching in the temple. And they came to Jesus, and they said, your mother and your dad are here looking for you. And this is part of what he said. 
Jesus said, my mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. So not only do we have to listen and hear and let it come into our hearts, but we have to do it. My next point is ignoring is refusing to follow the Lord's instructions. Some might sum that up as rebellion. How many of you guys has ever received a honeydew list from your wife? You've got that list. I want to tell you that many of us have things in our lives that we haven't tended to. We have words from the Lord or directions or instructions from the Lord. And we've listened, but we've ignored it. Things things like this are holding you back. And that's why God is graciously coming to us today to point some of those things out. I know the Holy Spirit has gone through this room and convicted you of certain things in your life, certain words that he gave you, and you've ignored them for whatever reason. Because it would be uncomfortable. You know, whatever it is, we all have our own story. Just like the honeydew list that's been waiting there. I saw something on Facebook yesterday. It was hilarious. It was just a statement. All you wives do not have to keep reminding your husbands of the list that they said they would do every three months. Some of you were slow. I didn't see any men laughing. (laughs) Sometimes that list that they committed to, somebody else... Somebody else has already done. It might have been because they've waited so long. But they were saying you really don't have to keep bugging and nagging them about it every three months about that list that still isn't done. I thought that was cute. Maybe it was just me. But they're holding you back. We use excuses. We put things on the bottom of the list. We come up with more excuses every three months. (laughs) I'm going to get to it. I'm going to get to it in my own way, just our own terms, you know. And then more excuses. And then comes justification. Then we have to justify why it's taking us so long. I'm too busy. I I, I don't have time. I have to work and then ignore some more. James 1, 22. Do not merely listen to the word or the rhema, the written word or the rhema, and so deceive yourselves. Don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Three, I want you to know, and I want to tell you one last story quickly. There are rewards that come 
when we listen to the Lord and do what he says or asks of us. There are rewards, not calamities. We read in the story of Jonah, he was putting things off. How many people did it affect? All those people, all those sailors, the captain, they could have died because of his not listening and not doing what God had asked him to do. We have to realize that sometimes when we don't do what God asks us to do or he gives us instructions and we don't do it, it affects the lives of other people in a negative way. There's reasons that God asks us to do things and gives us instructions. I hope you're all still tuned in and you haven't tuned out there on the live stream today because God wants your attention. You see, there's going to be things in the future that he's going to speak to you. Great things, marvelous things. Those things aren't coming yet. He's got to know that you're the one that listens to him. You're the one that doesn't ignore him. And he's so elated because so many are of the other camp that he's got so many rewards to give you and even theirs. Right? There are rewards when you listen to the Lord and do what he says. Luke 5. Turn to the book of Luke. For those of you who are taking notes. These are things that most of you have known already. Why would God have to repeat this to us? Because we're in a time of cleansing. And he needs to heal you. If you've been resisting his word and only listened to it and haven't responded to it and done what he said. We're... uh, in verse, uh, in, in chapter 5, I'm just going to uh, tell you what this story is. So it's the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He's already out giving messages to people. He'd been out for a long time. It was early in the morning. The reason I know that is in the story it tells us that Jesus saw these two boats. They were pulled up to the, to the side of the lake the fishermen that had been in those boats, it was, they always fished at night because that's when they got the biggest catch. So the fishermen had been out all night. They'd already gotten out of the boat. They were sitting there and they were washing their nets. And Jesus had perceived that and seen them doing that. And when they washed their nets, it was because they had to get rid of all the debris that had come out from the lake when they dragged the nets, you know, any weeds, whatever, somebody thrown some debris. They were littering in the lake. I don't know. But they had to wash their nets, mend anything that needed repairs, and get them ready for tonight. They'd been out all night. They hadn't had any sleep. They were tired. They were fishermen coming home. Their wives had made breakfast or whatever it was, midday brunch for them, or lunch was about to be ready. This was their typical day. And then they would go and get some sleep and get ready to wake up and head out when it was dark. Um, That's what was going on. And Jesus was there, so he 
he said to uh, one of them, Simon, Simon Peter, he said, um, he went and got on his boat, and then he looked at the dock, and he says, Simon, hey, could we just put out a little ways from shore? The people were pressing in. Jesus needed some space. So Simon obliged. He'd heard about this guy. He wasn't too sure of it. All these other people were following this guy around. He didn't know what to make of it. Some of them thought that he was the Messiah or something, you know, God's only son. So Simon was like, yeah, I've got my, I've folded all my nets and everything. Let me, let me put them in here and we'll push out. They went out a little ways, but it wasn't too far because Jesus was still speaking to the people. After a while, this is what Jesus says. And when he'd finished speaking to the people, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Okay. Pretty much what he really did know, he'd heard the rumors about Jesus, but he heard that his profession was a carpenter. He's a carpenter out of Nazareth. He's not a fisherman. This is the word that Jesus gave to Simon Peter. Simon wasn't saved at that time. He knew about Jesus. He'd heard about him. He decided to put out a little bit. I've already given this guy. I've already done this. I'm going to be late for lunch. My wife is going to be nagging me. Your food is cold again. What were you down? Were you down with the boys from Galilee again? Were you guys drinking again? You know, what were you doing? I spent all this time cooking for you and you're late again. He was rehearsing the things that were going to be typical in his everyday. He also known because he was a professional fisherman. And in the story it tells he had a partner. There was another boat. They were both partners. They fished together. They went out on the seas. And Jesus is saying, come out to the deep waters. This is what God is saying to you today. Go out into the deep waters. Go out into the deep waters. I've got something for you there. Venture away from the shore and the safe places. Ignore the things that are calling upon you and the worries of the day. That's what he's speaking to us right now. So Simon Peter Peter had a choice. This guy's a carpenter. Who's he to tell me? If we go out in the deep waters, they're not going to catch fish. We don't catch fish. Nobody catches fish in the day. We fish at night. That's when the fish bite. That's when they get in there in our nets. If I do this, I'm just going to have to go out there. It's all that time. Then I'm going to come back, and we all have to get out and wash our nets again. I'm exhausted. I'm tired. This carpenter doesn't get it. But this is what he says in verse 5. He could have said all those things, but he heard the word. And Simon answered and said, Master, we've worked hard all night and caught nothing. He had to at least get that out, the one thought that had come to his mind, one of them. 
But at your bidding, that means at your request, you're asking, I mean, all these people kind of worship you. You know, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break, verse 7. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat and said, come, come and help us. And they came, and they f- there was so much, they filled both boats. And there was so much, the boats were even about to sink. That's how great the rewards were from Simon Peter, who wasn't even saved yet. But when Simon Peter saw that, and he alone knew what the reasonings were in his mind before he responded to the Lord. He knew what, is, what he was really wanting to say uh, to Jesus <laughs> when he asked him for some more besides just setting offshore. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For amazement had seized him, and all his companions, because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And also James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon, they came along. And they started bowing down. They started to acknowledge him as Lord. Something happened. Something happened through their obedience. He heard the word. He was obedient to do it. Something happened. Clarity. He was not only hearing, but he began to see. He began to have revelation that this is the son of the living God. Oh, my gosh. When I acknowledge him and I do as he bids me to do, There are rewards that are miraculous. This was a miraculous haul. This had never happened. It's being talked about over 2,000 years later. And this is what Jesus said to Simon. Do not fear. From now on, you will be catching men. You see... He not only had the catch in the natural, but he had just produced fruit in the spirit by listening to God and doing what he asked. Fruit was being born in the realm of the spirit, and his friends and others that were there that saw all this and watched it all happen knew how tough Simon Peeper was. He's a bad dude. He's one of the boys of Galilee. He's a tough one. He cusses all the time. His wife is always yelling at him. He drinks too much. And there he is on his knees. And the rewards come in the natural realm of provision. I'm going to provide for you. You, With this much fish, it'll all go bad. You're going to have to be salting fish. There's no way to keep it fresh. And he was humbled. 
and he influenced his friends and his partners and anybody else there. And when they had brought their boats to land, it was so profound that the words in the Bible say, when they brought the boats to land, they left everything and followed him. How awesome is that? You see, something happens inside. You get cleansed of all those doubts. Uh, you, you get cleansed in, in the words, but God, but God, but God. I'm too tired. But God, we already did it all night. But God, but God, but God. You're listening and doing what God asked you to do has influence on people you don't know and people you do know as I close. So instead of saying, but God, instead of saying, but God, debating with him, but God, I, what about this? No, I, I don't want to shovel anymore, but God, I'm tired. But God, when is spring going to come? Instead of saying, but God, what you're asking me to do will take a miracle. Turn the but God into this. But God says nothing is impossible. But God says nothing is impossible. Get rid of the but God and your protest to not do what God is asking you to do. But God, I'm a failure, becomes, but God forgives us when we repent. But God, I'm, I'm alone. I'm all alone. I, I can't do this by myself. But God says, you are not alone. He is always with you. But God, I'm afraid. I'm just too afraid. I've never done anything. I, 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 I'm afraid. I'm afraid what people will do to me. I'm, I'm just afraid. I'm shaking here. And turn that into, but God is compassionate. God says you are not alone. He is with you. He goes before you. He goes before you. He's your rear God. Your right guard, your left guard. But God is compassionate. He's filled with loving kindness. But God, I'm overwhelmed. I've already got so much on my plate. You know what my work schedule is. I don't have time to do this. I don't have time to do that. I, I, I can't take any more. Please, please, I, don't ask me to work overtime. But God, I just don't have any more hours in my day. I'm already not sleeping. I'm so stressed. I, but God, but God, I, 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 I'm overwhelmed. But turn that into, but God leads us to victory and triumph over every circumstance and battle. 
But God, I just can't do it. I just can't do it. God, I can't do it. But God, I just can't do it. But let the word of God and the Holy Spirit come into your heart, into your ears. But God says, nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. You can do all things in Christ. You can do everything. You can do it all in me and with me. But God, I have to work. You know my work schedule. I, I, but I have to work. I, I have to take care of my family. I've, I've got all this to do. How, I, you know we're living paycheck to paycheck. Uh, to do what you're asking me. But God, I'd have to give up my overtime. But God... But God says, I am Jehovah Jireh. I am your provider. I will remember, but, but my word says, I have my eye on the sparrow. I provide for all of my creation. Will I, and they don't work, Will I not provide for you in every need? I don't think I have to go anymore with but gods. I hope some of you are still smiling. I hope some of you are still awake. I hope some of you, that all of you didn't stop listening or tuned it out and went somewhere else and that you're not ignoring, not me. I'm just the messenger. I'm just the messenger. I'm just the messenger. Let's pray. If you'd like to stand and stretch. Sean, would you come forward and pray for us? I just heard the Lord ask you, and he's already experiencing it like we are experiencing it. We come today because of the blood of the lamb. We are not worthy. We are not righteous enough in ourselves. I don't come here saying I've, I've ironed all this out. I am just like you. This word came to me. <laughs> I, I said, but God, they're going through a cleansing. Uh, they're feeling awkward. They really want to come and get, like, an encouraging word today. Like, like, I threw some humor in it, but they don't all look humorous right at the moment. Do you see? But... I had to surrender. I had to listen. I loved the part about but God. That was, 
I got tickled. I was laughing at him at about 1 o'clock because that wasn't in my notes. Didn't you like that part? But God, but God says this. But God, I love that. It's all from him. Don't you love it? I love him. I, I went to sleep saying, God, I just love you. <laughs> I love your word. I thank you for all this time I've spent, and you delayed giving me all and putting this whole thing together till late. You just wanted to hang out with me. Brother Sean, you are capable. <clears throat> Father, your word says that they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. <clears throat> and Father, that you brought this word, that we would take an introspective look at ourselves, of our hearts, of our motives, of our minds, of the things that drive us, of the decisions that we make. And Father, by the blood of Jesus Christ, we shall surely overcome. And so, Father, I pray for myself, my family, this house, and even this region. Father, that your spirit would come and continue to strengthen us and continue to encourage us. And the places where we're uh, without strength or helpless or discouraged, in the places where we're... Um, feeling depressed. Father, I'm asking you to let the spirit of the living God come and overshadow and come and speak and come to the dreams and the visions and restore again the passion of the fire that you have lit in the belly of each person. Father, I'm asking for the, for the overcoming power of Jesus Christ as this day that we're approaching, this day of Passover, where the angel passed over and life came again. And Father, that your word comes and strengthens my brothers, my sisters, this house, this region. There is so much to be discouraged about in every corner, but Christ has risen and Christ lives. Let the spirit of the living God overshadow and renew again the hearts. Lord, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Yes, the Lord wants to speak wonderful things to us. Wonderful things to us. Sorry it took so long, but may you remember it. May you hear it. Remember and do 